the one big i wouldn't call it failure but a regret is uh, about 10 plus years of bootstrapping i have written a big thread on linkedin about the downsides of bootstrapping uh, bootstrapping it's not a very popular thing but everybody loves that thread um is because you know i think i realized um uh, and i don't regret it as much as um from from what happened during that time but one of the things i realized after the fact is that how much you leave unlocked when you are constraining yourself in whatever you're doing hi Wherever you're listening to us, I hope you're staying safe and doing well. Welcome to a new season of Forbes India's Startup Fridays, where we talk to accomplished entrepreneurs, VC investors, and other folk who are doing significant work in India's startup ecosystem. I'm Hari Arkli, and my guest today is Vaibhav Domkundwar, founder and CEO of Better Capital, an early-stage VC firm focused on Indian startups building for India and for the world. Before he turned full-time VC investor. Vibha had a stellar career in technology as an entrepreneur himself including co-founding and exiting successful startups in silicon valley at better capital vibha has had a phenomenal success in identifying a large number of promising startups very early on and backing them today collectively his portfolio companies are worth over 5 billion dollars So Vibhav fantastic to have you with us this morning thank you for making time and uh, welcome Thank you Hari and happy Sankranti to you and everybody as well looking forward to this So just to get us started uh, let's start uh, a little bit early on before uh, uh, you know uh, better capital tell us a little bit about the path that brought you to better capital you were an entrepreneur yourself so tell us a bit about the career that uh, led you to the starting of th- uh, this as a micro VC and we'll go from there Yeah, no sounds good. Look, I think uh, I'll give you a zoomed out version and we can double click as you like. Um but I um I did my undergrad from India and landed in uh, the US for my masters at UC Berkeley right when the internet was starting uh 1996 um uh, when Netscape was the hot new company though I knew nothing about the internet coming from India during that time. Um so it was a very immersive experience at Berkeley for 2 years and um I think the mid to late 90s is when the first boom of internet started and uh, everybody with a heartbeat in the bay area had a couple of ideas <laughs> so I think after I took my um, took care of some of the visa issues that immigrants have I started my first company called Romeware with about four other co-founders um it was an enterprise software company that we were selling to mobile carriers worldwide it was a phenomenal experience learning from my other co-founders as well as sort of just doing everything firsthand right i think uh, you only have bookish knowledge while you're still in school and college so romeware was a phenomenal experience for me eventually the company grew to be a category leader and was sold to a, a private equity firm called audax that was kind of a um, you know a typical silicon valley model you know uh, four or five co-founders uh, raised a bunch of capital and uh, eventually were lucky enough to find an exit um after that i actually took the exact opposite route uh, this was post the 2001 to 3 downturn i started better uh, as a startup studio back in the day and essentially um uh essentially sort of uh, started building on a set of ideas i had and um, this in the startup studio we ba- basically built about uh 10 companies scaled six kept four that became the operating business but during that entire journey ari one of the things that i realized was while we were getting really good at sort of 0 to 1 
and getting a lot of ideas uh, at the right time we were not really unlocking the full potential in that model of a studio because your the biggest problem is that you're not able to hire founder like teams right so i think that led me to sort of saying that look how do i uh, unlock what i am seeing as potential in terms of early ideas so we started to do early investments from our own um, capital at better uh, sorry you can call it as angel investment i was the only owner of better so it was uh, really our own personal capital so we did the first cohort back in the bay area and the second cohort after i moved to india in 2012 um the first one had a good uh, one exit to linkedin and then um in the second one i think the outlier company is really the goldlands company rupik um but in that entire journey and after i settled down in india after 16 years in sf um it essentially uh, post geo it just felt that i i could double down on sort of um sort of 20 years of experience doing lots of zero to ones and seeing kind of the pre-seed gap in india so that's when we started better capital has been 4 years and um honestly i couldn't have imagined um the journey we we just we just did uh what we said um could be interesting right i think personally i've always chosen the path of um sort of what i really really want to do versus uh, any other outcomes and i think better capital was no different mm Uh, from a uh, an entrepreneur uh, to investor what uh, you know decided you on wanting to be an investor <laughs> great question so look i uh, and most of my founders know and feel this as well but i am less of an investor and more of a builder right and from better as a startup studio to better capital as an early stage venture firm um the difference is very minimal honestly um i was telling my wife the other day that i essentially have found the right um vehicle to unlock what i really love um so better capital is really more of an evolution of doing um sort of idea to company for a long time and um i also believe that um you know the 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 potential to sort of unlock um uh unlock opportunities at scale with a early stage venture model is uh, is is really something that was very powerful for me personally uh besides i think you know um I'm late 40s and uh I can't imagine um how, I mean I, the ambition that you see with our teams today is just unmatched right so I think um uh the being an investor and being their partner in the early journey became a natural choice so it was really uh, I, I really don't see myself as a typical investor I think I I I think of um, businesses we want to build uh having been a founder myself it's something that i i i sort of um want to ask is this something i would build what what would it be like why would i build it and things like that so um so really that's the essence of better it's really less of an investor and more of a builder mm. so so let's uh, look at uh, the the last 4 years after you came back and uh, started the vc firm a little bit more uh, tell us about some of uh, Uh, your uh, earliest investments yeah yeah so so four years for better capital i've been back in india for much longer than that it took me a while to actually get uh, recalibrated to where india was in the first few years and uh, i had zero network here right so i think the early angel investments in the likes of rupik sort of created the 
the channel for me to understand the market and these uh, founders became very close friends right so sumit of rupi continues to be a very dear friend um and and a way for me to understand india quite well but look i think um uh, it's been four years uh, we we started with no strategy other than saying that we want to really make authentic um high conviction bets and um it's funny but our very first investment was in a company called open uh which is now obviously asia's largest uh, sme in your bank and um it was uh, it, it 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 is probably one of my most memorable investments because um when we were just starting i wasn't sure that that's going to be our first investment i think it was a personal check that somebody approached me for um but then i had a really good chat with the founder anish and um sorry about that um i had a really uh, good chat with the founder anish and um at the end of that call you know there were just two things that made us take that decision very early on now this is something this is a time when there was no concept of uh, neo bank as such that was being talked about in india right um so uh, so i think it was a combination of their small business experience and me having seen a company called simple back in the us which basically said we want to reinvent banking right and those connected the dots for me along with my experience of how broken small business banking was um and you know it's been uh, four years and uh, it's been an incredible journey to watch this team grow from just nothing um so multiple multiple such stories hari uh, honestly in the portfolio and i think the credit goes to the founders but just to see sort of a deck going to millions of users is just um, you know no better high for an entrepreneur and an investor i would say <laughs> yeah and and so today uh, i mean give us a snapshot of what uh, better capital has evolved into today and and the direction that you want to pursue and i think you've also announced a, a fund that you have raised so yeah tell us about all of that yeah yeah absolutely so look i think uh, better capital um we 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 remain fairly focused on saying that we want to be the earliest stage partner for founders when they are starting their journey right um so i think pre seed seed series a these are all sort of stages that come from the legacy investment sort of um background but i think we want to be the founding stage investor right so i think that was the journey from the beginning now when we started we was doing participating checks and now we have evolved to leading those pre seed and founding stage rounds at companies which is what we want to continue to do so our check sizes have gone from you know from kind of 100 to 200k to about um 500 to a million and we are able to sort of put together rounds that are larger than that as well so we want to be the earliest stage partner for our companies um we're taking a lot of non consensus bets that are fundamentally very product driven and um distribution driven right so that's a that's a common trait that you will see across the better portfolio that we are trying to see uh, how we can build companies how we can partner with founders who think about scale first right so fundamentally what they are building is going to be not very expensive to do gtm right um so so i think that's sort of the the stage focus and um focus on sort of partnering very early and um 
you know, there is a fundamental decision that we took early on um, in terms of the venture capital fund structure as well. So if you saw what uh, Roloff of C- uh, Sequoia wrote about the Sequoia Fund um, a couple of months ago, uh, he basically said the old venture model is really something that is not going to work in the future. It's already not working because the structure limits you as an investor and, and also limits the returns for LPs over the long run based on what is happening today in the venture market, right? So we realized sort of the, the, that was broken in the uh, early stage market as well. And our whole idea was that we wanted to separate capital structures from the investing decision making. Because what happens is that when you look at portfolio construction, and it's a good thing, but when you look at portfolio construction and you are sort of saying that, hey, I I have too much ad tech, I have to do something else now, that actually is not going in line with the market. For example, in 2020, some of the best ad tech companies were started and we had a very clear view that we're going to double down. So we did 12 plus investments in nine months. And it has turned out very well. Now, our structure allowed us to do that, right? It, it did not constrain us saying that you're becoming quite heavy on net tech or something like that. So I think um, on the capital side, what we're doing is we, we, we have an early stage fund that will dramatically improve our speed as well as ability to bring more capital to, to our companies. And then we are sort of looking at how do we continue to invest in our companies as they break out and get to the A, B, um, C stages and above. So we'll sort of put together a growth fund as well. But essentially sort of, you know, investing decision will be really founding stage, very focused on sort of high conviction building. And we're taking some really bold bets as we speak. And then on the capital side, we've, we've kind of built uh, very strong partnerships with LPs who understand and love what we're doing. So we're sort of building a a blind pool for pre-seed and seed stage investments and then sort of we'll build out more capital for continuing to buy more of our companies. Because we want to, you know, I think uh, the the fundamental difference also, Hari, is because I am sort of ground zero into these companies, I really don't think of them as investments, right? These are businesses we want to build and be a big part of for a very long term, instead of being an investor who comes in and goes out, right? So we're trying to innovate the capital structure also in a way where we can sort of continue to own these companies for a long time. Mm. I think it's probably worthwhile diving into this uh, a little bit more uh, in the sense, uh, explain to us some more what you are talking about when you say that the uh, the older model is broken uh, and also tell us about uh, the structures that you are now innovating with uh, and, and how it allows you to be flexible or maybe give us a couple of examples of uh, the type of uh, early companies that you want or even ideas that you were able to identify and back because of uh, the ways you're approaching it. Yeah, yeah. So um, let, let me let me explain the old structure, right? So the old structure is basically I raise a fund and when I raise a fund, I basically say, here's what I'm going to do with that fund because I obviously have to tell my LPs uh, what it is for. And then um, there is a there is a certain incentive structure around it and things like that. And um, I'm limiting myself to that mandate, right? Now, what is happening is that the market is moving extremely fast, right? And if a mandate for a fund that I signed on three years ago may not align with where I need to invest today, it becomes a really hard problem to solve, right? Um, And 
and and that is actually the biggest challenge i see and like i said an example of that is how um there was a window to double down on edtech companies right and uh with a typical fund structure with portfolio construction constraints i wouldn't have been able to take the number of edtech bets that we took um during a very short period of time in 2020 and 2021 Now in those companies we have teachment which went from 2 million to 500 million in 15 months we have philo that that grew 100x on the main metric in 12 months we have the largest cohort of cbcs that we believe is the new format for learning so from we innovated with stoa school and then we are in growthx skillink and many others right so that format as a whole all of those companies are being adopted at scale right now because we were not constrained with a structure that forced a particular portfolio construction we were able to say that this is the window because that is also a window where some of the best edtech teams started right um so you couldn't say that okay you know i'm going to do only two investments this quarter and we'll see next year what happens because by next year all the best teams had started and investments were made right so we were able to really do that so that's one example of sort of the structure that we are uh, we are creating now just to double click on the structure itself what we did on the um on the early stage investments is that we had our capital from about 30 odd lps globally um who bought into our spvs right so they were not a blind pool but they were essentially um uh, a sort of a uh, investment by investment structure where they were opting in now majority of them were indexing right but it gave us as well as them the flexibility to say hey let me understand how better is performing how webber is thinking and evolving how, what is the access webber is unlocking so even from an lp structure it worked out very well now the 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 fund we've created really became um a, a requirement from some of the lps who were indexing us anyway right now um look on the fund side also we just raised about a 15 16 million fund we could have raised about 100 but what i feel is that fund size is the strategy in investing right the moment i raise a larger fund i am going to figure out hey again the fund economics come in the picture and instead of choosing the best investments for and the best teams and taking bold bets i'm worrying about how am i going to deploy in such a way that i'm going to raise my next fund again so i think you know we can go on and on but i think it is um it is uh, as an outsider right look i am not a venture investor as a career i i'm i'm new to the space so i just questioned all of these things and I, i'm glad that and when we've learned a lot a lot of stuff right so what i'm telling you is something that we've learned over a period of time it's not something that just occurred to me right but i think uh, with good advisors globally we have some really good uh, blue chip lps in our fund as well so we're sort of uh, double clicking on understanding how to innovate and if you look at what andreessen has done what sequoia has announced i think those are all in the direction of how venture is changing like uh, one of my lps told me yesterday he said what is happening in venture uh, is the industrialization of the asset class which happened in pe over the last 20 30 years already right so we all have to think very differently i i got into it without this whole background i just questioned that hey you know can i be unconstrained in terms of how how i want to invest because investing in the company was more important than the structure and its constraints right 
Um, so that's sort of uh, a, a little bit more background on this. Mm. So to that extent, uh, because of the industrialization, as you put it, um, is there a, a trade-off between uh, getting maybe lower risk in exchange for not so uh, hyper kind of returns? Um, you know, uh, here's the best part of where we are today. Um, you have everything available, right? Another VC friend of mine said, uh, in the, during the pandemic, every VC became a multi-stage VC. <laughs> and I think the pandemic was just a window that just allowed them to reset. But I think it was already available on a platter. I mean, you know, there are billion dollar funds who are writing 100K checks as well, all for a variety of different reasons, right? Sometimes it's for access, sometimes it's for learning, sometimes it's for something else. So um, I, I think um, the, the beauty today is that you have all risk reward options available right now it's up to you as an investor how innovative you want to be fundamentally and what are you doing right look there can be i am a builder right so i'm just saying that look i'm never going to leave pre-seed even if somebody said hey you know deploy 200 500 million for me i'll deploy it as 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 growth capital into our companies but we will always start start with building, right? Pre-seed and seed is our focus. But for um, anybody else, uh, there's a complete platter right now. You could just pick and choose. In fact, uh, even the better portfolio, right, uh, Hari? Today, as an LP, you can come to better and you can you can get uh, ac- high risk, high reward access to pre-seed, and you can a- get access through our proratas um, into A, B, C, D, E companies. Right. Um, and and all of this without a blind pool. So you're not saying that, hey, Weber, take this money and, 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 and we love what you're doing. You're basically saying, OK, these are the 40 companies that will raise ABCD rounds in the next 24 months. And we really want to be part of this pool. Right. So uh, everything is just changing dramatically, not only at the investor level, even at the LP level. Right. So LPs are becoming fairly, um, uh, I guess, savvy about understanding their options, right? Um, so I think we'll, we'll just see a lot of innovation in this space. It's quite exciting. Mm. So I guess essentialism has come of age in a different way. Uh, so, so in that uh, context, uh, sticking to, uh, uh, you know, very uh, disciplined, frugal approach with a smaller fund, what does it mean in terms of the kind of areas that you want to invest in? And I know that you are one of the few VCs in India who have a separate uh, a tab for climate and one for crypto. Probably there are more for crypto, but not so many for climate yet. Uh, so yeah, tell us a bit about the areas you want to invest in. And we'll also ask you about uh, the climate philosophy. No, look, I think uh, there is uh, there is a lot of, as of this decade, there is a lot of bread and butter stuff that will always happen, right? Which is SaaS and fintech and um, edtech to a certain extent, right? So I think these will continue to be sort of uh, companies that we'll explore. We've done a lot of edtech, so I think um, uh, we, we'll, we'll really want to find something truly different for us to take a new bet because all our existing companies will cover a lot of ground. But I think SaaS and fintech will continue to um, grow. Um, we, we took a lot of uh, fintech bets early, then we took a pause. And as we sort of see everybody growing and unlocking and the rails and the uh, regulations coming together, I think a new generation of fintech companies are being created. Some really innovative stuff is happening. So we're going to do a lot of fintech, um, I think, uh, as long as it passes our bar. Um, SaaS continues to be a global opportunity. 
we are um, we're not so bullish on workflow sense um, which means companies that are uh, just building yet another hr software or something like that we're very focused on sort of building uh, a new generation of let's say api software um uh, ai first uh, view of the world and things like that so i think we're learning a lot from our early companies um so those two are main sectors um and then i think uh, climate and crypto are the new ones and then i think look crypto and web3 can feel very me too and and it does and it is for many people um but i also believe that uh, a lot of folks uh, like me who um basically philosophically are bought into the concept and the future of decentralized world um i think we are taking a look at it in a very different perspective it's not about um you know how the markets are doing in crypto it's about the inevitability of decentralization in many ways and how do we figure out a path from there uh it's almost like you know in in uh, like i said when i was at berkeley in 1996 i was just looking up what browsers were right i didn't know what they meant and that was the beginning of the internet and just see how long we've come right so i think the decentralization is literally at that stage right so web3 crypto whatever you want to call it um so i think that that will continue to be a, a important segment for us and and we're learning very very fast from our founders as well right so it's a it's a partnership um that that will essentially be the source of insights for us to make the correct decisions mm. uh, purely as a uh, coincidence and as an aside i had a chance to talk, chat with darshan just yesterday so uh, anyway we'll we'll publish some of that in in the next few days uh so on climate tech uh in india i mean the the sense is that uh, both the startup scene as well as the vc scene is probably 5 10 years behind uh, some of the more advanced economies uh so tell us about why you are looking at climate tech uh, right now and are you able to actually find companies that are doing really innovative work in this area in india No great question I really appreciate that you went to the website and you noticed that we put climate at the top on the menu it was actually uh uh intentional to put it up there because I think you're absolutely right we're very early but I think um, at least for me personally and as better capital we're very committed to solving or being part of that solution whatever it is right um so uh, for us it is a commitment to be um to be sort of being uh, supportive of founders who are building there because i think if you look at um, folks like john dore who've been sort of building and thinking about this for a long time uh, he recently published a new book as well it is very clear that i don't think we can wait to solve the climate issue anymore and climate issue is not something where uh, oh silicon valley or uh, some other market will innovate for the whole world i think we all have to innovate right we all have to commit to it so i think for cl- climate for us is that and and i think it's a zoomed out uh, vision honestly right i think uh, it all goes back to carbon and um, greenhouse gases and how do we think about what are the different solutions right um, we back to uh, back to company called evo which is kind of uh, creating the egg replacement uh solar square is essentially building the sun run of india by doing by taking making solar sort of um you know solar on every roof that's that's the vision and it's a very very um inspiring team 
that I'm partnered with. And there are several other companies. Yulu, as you know, Amit Gupta has been building it for a long time. Uh, I, I can't uh, I can't really dub, double click or stress on how committed Amit has been through the entire journey, right? And we need founders like these, right? Because um, I think Yulu probably has the best tack for um, uh, two-wheeler EVs in India that will be commonplace and be used very cost-efficiently for all kinds of use cases, right? So I think climate is a is a commitment, honestly. It is early, you're absolutely right. But if all of us say that it's early, um, again, this goes back to me as a builder than an investor, honestly, right? So we'll, we'll, we'll figure out along the way. Mm. Okay, let's switch to talking a little bit more about uh, your own personal journey as well as uh, how you approach, uh, you know, investing, uh, you know, as, as a, more as a person, as a human being. Over the years, uh, investing in companies through your startup studio and then uh, through the last four years, uh, what are some of the sort of top takeaways in the sense that what are the uh, bedrock fundamental principles and criteria on which you'll never compromise when you decide on an investment? So, look, I think uh, some of it comes from the way you are wired, right? And I think... uh, as an entrepreneur, I was minted as an entrepreneur in the in the center of Silicon Valley. And I think what you take away from that experience is sort of being brought br- brutally honest about building the real business. Uh, I think uh, scale is at the fundamental uh, thinking level in everything that happens and how I've grown up with, right? So I think if you look at most of our investments, we are constantly asking um, besides like, hey, is this needed? I think the second most important question we are asking is how will it scale, right? Um, we, we've we been, um, I think India, because of sort of the pre-geo internet being sort of limited, um, we were, as a venture ecosystem, we, have, we were forced to sort of back what I call as dhanda first businesses, right? Um, but I think post geo, it opened up for all of us investors an ability to truly build uh, scale first, product first, distribution first companies, right? So that became central. So I think, to be honest, I'm lucky that what I knew and what I believed in um, was available in 2018 onwards uh, when geo had been there for a few years, right? So I think uh, scale is very important uh, when we're thinking and uh, then just brutal honesty about what is it, right? So um, if you ask our founders, one of the common questions I keep asking again and again on our uh, weekly, monthly cadences is um, what is the company, right? What is Teachment? What is Philo? What is Jupiter? What is Open? What is Yulu, right? And, and that's a very fundamental question that forces you to answer and say, do I really buy it? Is this working? Right? Because I, I basically ask founders to define what is their company that encapsulates that it is needed and they're learning from the users that they're building something people want and um, they, they know that it is scaling or not scaling. Right? So when they answer that question, I think it encapsulates a lot of how we think at the, at the very core level which is um, just brutal honesty about what, what we are building and does it scale. Mm. You started out by saying, uh, you know, you see yourself as a builder and you focus on uh, pre-seed a lot. Uh, so with those two, two things in mind, uh, give us a sense of uh, uh, how closely you work with uh, founders and startups. What is your approach to that? So I think uh, it, it is really as simple as 
we all believed in X, let's make it happen. Um, and we do weekly cadences, bi-weekly, monthly cadences, depending on the stage of the company and where the founders are. And um, really actively looking at product and metrics. I'm looking at screens. I am looking at user feedback. I'm looking at testimonials that they are sending. And we're discussing all of those questions. We are asking. And I think my, my role honestly is about asking the hard questions, right? Because a lot of times um, as a builder myself, I have told myself lies about, no, it is working, right? And I've gone through that process, right? Which means that the best thing that I can do is protect my founders from sort of falling into that, right? So I think that's the question we are asking, right? And I think, um, look, um, um, our founders will also tell you that, you know, when I'm investing, even when I don't invest, when I'm meeting, right? I'm going into those meetings thinking, what is the opportunity? I'm not going into that meeting thinking, what is the risk? So when we've invested, we've invested in that opportunity, and when we are building with the founders, we are constantly asking question about this is what we believed. What do we think? This is what we thought. What is it happening? Right. Um, so I think um, just a uh, just a lot of uh, nuanced uh, questions around building. And just to give you one example, let's say when. Um, Teachment was just starting on. Uh, we basically said uh, it's a it's a live class solution, and um, uh, you know you could you could uh, support a yoga teacher, you could support a math teacher, you could support anybody, right? But we all we knew that every user is different. Their requirements are different. Their intensity and depth of their requirement is different. So I asked a simple question. I said, look, why don't we take um, why don't we understand what is the GDP of uh, all these classes? Right. Where is it centered? So they did the work and they said, oh, you know, after school tuitions is majority of the GDP. Right. After school, school, uh, after school, school tuitions around math and science and whatnot. So we uh, so that's what we picked. And that actually was really helpful for us as a team to say that this is what we are doing. It helped our GTM as well, because when school one school teacher got to know the others got to know and it sort of worked. Right. So the work is very, very um um, detailed and specific but at the same time you know I don't believe in me telling the founders what to do because I will not know I'm just bringing a framework right um, and then it, it's it's founders who pull what they need from me and I think most of them get to know me over a period of time so it's very um, I, they, they can get what they need in five minutes also right and you're all on the same page so I like to brainstorm right uh, so so we are we are sort of solving those questions along the way at every stage mm. so at the um, at the pre-seed level uh, most often it's it's not much more than an idea um, maybe there's some very early uh, proof of concept and so on to your mind what is the ideal combination? Uh, that you look for in a founder in the idea in the startup that would win your backing correct um so you know i am slightly different uh, in this um, uh, in this process because i am a very market first investor typically you, you know most most investors uh, double down on team and quality obviously there are many other market first investors globally as well um, so i'm very market first uh, primarily i guess also because of my operating background for a long time um, so I think uh, when you are presenting me something, I'm, I'm just trying to understand and 
relate to the market and the opportunity and because of the operating experience the the good and the bad is that you fall into the trap of saying how will this work right but because i am uh, i am not going into the meeting thinking was the risk i'm going into it thinking was the opportunity um i'm i'm first trying to figure out if i believe in that or not and i'm able to do that very quickly just because of you know just data points that just connect dots at scale in your mind um so i think that's the first question i'm doing the second question is then the just the team right i mean what is their unfair advantage is this a space they come from if they don't come from that are they sort of just um uh set up to be uh, successful solving that problem because of a certain reason and things like that um the the other nuanced learning for me has been that um are uh, 3 and 4 person founding teams versus 1 and 2 person founding teams are actually um running way faster right and and it's not about just the number of people in the founding team what we are realizing is that when all those three or four co-founders are as good as being individual founders right so it is not it is like four real strong founders coming together to solve a problem um now that that i think we are seeing again and again the three and four person teams are able to move faster uh they are more full stack they have product growth fundraising everything covered in terms of skill sets so i'm looking for that as to how the founders thinking why are they partnering with each other what are they bringing to the table will they be able to sort of uh, operate in the market today where um you don't just have to build but you have to make sure you can tell your story correctly and capitalize your company uh, for success uh, short term and long term so i think these are some of the nuanced as- aspects that we go through Mm. and having invested in in a, a startup and back back some founders how do you address the tension between uh, the founders vision to build a, a certain company go in a certain direction and your constraint uh, as a vc that at some point you have to return uh, a good return to your lps um great question though i think honestly we haven't um we haven't really come into a situation where we've had that sort of attention at all so fingers crossed on that but uh, but look i think to a certain extent i think because it's also because of the stage right um so uh, at the precede and seed stage we're sort of innovating and constantly asking the question of hey what's the big picture what's the 10 billion dollar company here right um so we are set up together in a very similar thinking process now when somebody comes in at a b or c stage what happens is that they may be buying into a particular um company and where it is whereas the founder thinks that is just a uh, a state in their journey and they will evolve and innovate out of it right so i think it happens later stage probably more um than than early stage so thankfully we are sort of uh, and, and and it's it's funny the almost exact opposite happens in our case honestly right because we are very married by the builders mindset we are married by saying that look i i tell my founders i said look you guys have insane opportunity cost right so if you are doing it doing do it to build a very large company right so at every stage we are actually saying that we want to out innovate us all the time right uh, once we prove something we just have to say hey wh- wh- what does wh- what makes it bigger right 
so we are just i think philosophically very aligned right from the beginning most of the times now look my pre seed investments are end up being closer to than when we are just doing a participating check in another investment but i think it all just depends on how founders um, you know um, need or want to pull the time that i have and things like that but uh, i'll tell you but on on that you know i have several cases where um, uh, where i am the first call for uh, some really uh, radical decisions <laughs> so uh, so so you know and I, th- i think it goes back to sort of the comfort right because i think those radical decisions are um, not uh radical in a bad way they are radical in a very constructive way right so and and because they know how i think i become the first call right so mm. yeah, and that's a good thing right i mean founders often can become obsessed with their own products and lose sight of the customer and uh things like that happens so i guess it's good to have you as a sounding board um, so yeah in the in that vein uh, if you look back at your own career uh, as an entrepreneur as well as an as an investor what are some of the the top uh, lessons uh, takeaways i think there is a lot right i think um, uh, there's a lot of little little things that add up to how you behave and how you choose your uh, your folks along the way right um but i think uh, uh, to zoom out really right because i think when you think of entrepreneurship it's not a certain part of your life entrepreneurship is a way of life right so most of us who are career entrepreneurs um that is our life right um that is our full life right so i think um the most important things that i um i i took away from all these years just to keep the big picture alive right because i think you can as an entrepreneur you can wake up to a lot of stress every single day how you handle that becomes very important right um so i think the big picture uh is very important and i think as you see you you've seen a lot of news about the stress that entrepreneurs are under and things like that and for me constantly um the reminder to our teams also is that you know nothing is as bad as it seems right there was a there was one of our teams that couldn't make it out of the pandemic in the lending play and when they first called me and said look um looks like this is not going to go or happen and i think the first thing i remember i told them i said look it is what it is and they they they, could, they were visually uh, visibly stressed <laughs> right i could see it and obviously i i can i can relate to it but the first thing i told them i said it is what it is let's figure out what we need to do right because i think um, as early stage investors also we know that a bunch of our investments are going to go to zero how we handle it is going to be um, what we leave behind for our founders as well right so i think uh, one big thing uh, in entrepreneurship and in venture is i think um, just keep the big picture alive nothing is as bad as it seems and i think the other thing that has been a guiding light for me um, hari has been this concept of choosing freedom over everything else right so if if um, at every fork um, i I've, i've chosen the path that left me more freedom than less and and i think that's something that i um i i i probably i, I don't know who i should thank for um you know sort of that happening it's a, again like i said it's a number of experiences and people that make you think uh, how you should make choices right so i think those are the two things that continue to be sort of the guiding light um just just because you know uh, as an entrepreneur uh, it's a very very long journey and that's all you're going to do so this is this is your life how you handle it is going to be very important mm. I mean, increasingly, as I myself get into my late forties, 
uh, I realized a lot of uh, influences that happened to us very, very early in our life, uh, you know, even in subconscious ways, uh, uh, matter and affect our decisions today. If you look back at your own life, uh, tell us a bit about uh, your childhood. What are some of the biggest influences that you uh, recall, which you feel might have now played a role in your career and the way things have shaped? What did your parents do? Where did you uh, grow up and things like that? Um, look, I think we had a very comfortable life thanks to um, uh, thanks to my parents, right? Uh, who themselves came from, I guess, as poor uh, a background as you can imagine. Um, my father actually um, had situations where he studied under a streetlight, but uh, he and his brother both had illustrious careers that I, I think I can never match in terms of the uh, the start and finish that they had because uh, my father has been an educator and administrator. Uh, he retired as the Dean of Engineering at University of Pune, a PhD from IIT Bombay, and uh, just a stellar career, right? And I think uh, that that teaches you a lot. I think the value system that you grow up with is the value system that you live with, right? So uh, I think um, that 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 has shaped uh, the way we grew up, right? Uh, I think has shaped a lot of um, uh, how I think, number one. Um, Number two is, I think, um, uh, this whole, uh, I grew up, I guess you could say, uh, not too introvertish, but definitely not extrovertish, right? Um, so my parents and my sister still cannot believe that I talk the amount of um, time that I talk, <laughs> Because uh, because they never heard me talking, all, all you know, as a as a quiet child. Um, but I think um, uh, that that I think uh, that journey shaped as well, right? Because um, you you sort of uh, learn a lot by being an introvert, actually, right? And there's a lot going on. And I think I ended up with uh, with a career that uh, that sort of brought all those learnings and gave me the gave me the wisdom or a little bit of wisdom to uh, talk about it right so i think um, i i i there, there is a lot of discussion about um, introvertism and is it good or bad and i i think i've i've read a bunch where i relate to where i think it's actually very enriching right uh, so that's something that i i look back and think about it um, another one i i would say is i think the my two years at berkeley were very very enriching I think, um, you know, you grew up in India with a very closed mindset, right? And um, Berkeley, as you know, is the west of the west, <laughs> as open thinking as possible. It took me the first six months to sort of, you know, um, just relate to that that entire thing because I was still in this mode, right? Um, but I think it, it really gave me the, um, the, 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 you know, it, it's, it's strange to say it, but the freedom of thinking right because it's your mind you can think anything but we grow up with such a narrow uh, thinking base so i think berkeley was very transformative for me to um, just let imagine what you can do what you can be uh, just because you are a mechanical engineer you are supposed to do this sort of a thing that you come up with right berkeley was like an open canvas so i think i owe a lot of my um reinvention i i believe everybody everybody should reinvent every five years so all of that mindset i owe to berkeley i think uh, so those would be a few examples okay one uh, quick last question and i have a few rapid fire questions uh Tell us about uh, one important uh, failure that taught you a lot and also contrast it with one uh, big high in your career. 
Ah, so I think uh, the one big, I wouldn't call it failure, but a regret is uh, about 10 plus years of bootstrapping. I've written a big thread on LinkedIn about the downsides of bootstrapping. Uh, bootstrapping. It's not a very popular thing, but everybody loves that thread. Um, is because, you know, I think I realized, um, uh, and I don't regret it as much as um, from, from what happened during that time. But one of the things I realized after the fact is that how much you leave unlocked when you are constraining yourself in whatever you're doing. Right. So I think um, that's uh, that that's something that uh, I'm I'm correcting now with better capital, right? Where we are, uh, and and I'm I'm bringing that sort of thinking and feedback and my own realization to many of our founders as well. Uh, in fact, um, there was one founder who basically said that that series essentially uh, helped him connect what was happening in his mind. Um, to what needs to be done and he re- essentially just completely pivoted his business and raised capital to really build and unlock the full vision that they were building for. So I think that's one thing I would say. And I think um, what was the other part of your question? I sort of didn't get it right. One, one memorable career high so far. Ah, uh, let's hope that is still to come, Hari. <laughs> no, but I think I, I love what I do. Uh, honestly, I think just seeing something go from a deck to millions of users who absolutely love something and partnering with founders and seeing it happen, I, I, I think I, from that perspective, I have a lot of highs. <laughs> All right. Okay. So a few quick questions. Uh, think of them as rapid fire questions. Don't think too much about them. Answer each one in 30 seconds or a sentence or two. First one is uh, uh, one habit first thing in the day that sets you up for the rest of the day. Um, gratitude and a positive mind. Uh, you know, in Jerry Maguire, which is my famous uh, favorite movie, uh, there is a scene where uh, one of his mentors wakes up and says, today is going to be a great day. <laughs> so I don't literally do that, but that's how I think. <laughs> okay. Uh, one piece of advice that you never got. Uh, satisfaction limits potential. Okay. Uh, one person that you look up to. A great question. So, um, slightly longer answer, but essentially I think if excellence was a person, I think that's what it would be because look, I think I take away different things from different people, right? Um, I think the system thinking of Jeff Bezos, the clarity of writing of Paul Graham, the simplicity of Warren Buffet. So I, I realized that I have never felt, um, that there is one person, right? But I think all of this goes into excellence, which is probably what I seek. A book that you would always recommend? Ah, so there's just tons of really good books, right? But I think the way I look at it, Hari, is um, the, the, the two best reminder uh, books are The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari and uh, Who Moved My Cheese. I think um, just great reminders for life. Okay. Last question. Uh, one city that you would love to live in? Ah, New York City. That's it. <laughs> All right, excellent. We've really come to the end of our time. Uh, thank you so much, Vaibhav. Fantastic conversation. A great start for me for this new season. Uh, and I definitely hope we can keep the conversation going. Absolutely. I loved it, Ari. Thank you for having me. That's it for this week's Startup Fridays. I'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, have a great Friday and a wonderful weekend ahead. I'm Hari Arakli. Thank you for listening.